0: Thank you very much, Julius. Um, it's good back to be back here, back in this lecture theatre which was new when I was studying. Uh, and doesn't look all that much different except the desks have to been recovered many times because of uh, doodling uh, that obviously missed the page at the time. Um, but it is a time ago. In fact, uh, this year my wife and I passed 40 years of uh, the time in which we met each other Studied in this university, so we uh, we don't worry about our wedding anniversary. We just remember the time we met, which is uh, associated with studying here. Well, if you call it studying, meeting your future. Uh, you see a very detailed outline of what I'm going to say uh, inside there to give you opportunity to keep your pen on the page rather than the desk. Uh, it's another idea, but has been known to be done. Let's speak on the uh, intolerance, uh, God. Uh, who really is, full title, is The Intolerant God of Tolerance. So let me uh, start off with tolerance as a word, as a concept. Here, uh, it's a great thing, it's, a, it's enormous thing. People have died for the sake of having a tolerant society. It is really worth uh, Tolerance is one of those values that we should uphold, maintain, maintain and seek to live by and seek to encourage within our society. Never underestimate the value of tolerance just because you've grown up with it. To live in an intolerant society is a dreadful thing. But what is it? Well, Macquarie Dictionary, because Sydney University doesn't publish one. (laughs) The disposition to be patient and fair towards those whose opinion or practices differ from one's own. The disposition to be patient or fair towards others whose opinions or practices differ from one's own. That's a fairly poor definition of uh, tolerance, after Macquarie University, Um, because differing is not really what it's about. It's not that you are differing with each other. You're actually... It's the disposition to be patient or fair towards those whose opinions you fundamentally disagree with. It's not just that you're differing. I mean, I can differ with you over small matters in small ways, but... It's really not much that involves tolerance. It's tolerance when I actually fundamentally disagree with you, but I'm still going to treat you fairly and justly, even though we are on the other side of the fence. Even though you say it's black and I say it's white, yes, we're going to treat each other fairly and justly. Anybody can tolerate somebody who we mildly differ with. Uh, My wife and I have been differing about whether St George or or Eastern Suburbs Rugby League Club is the, the better team for 40 years. Uh, a happy difference except for once a season or twice a season when they play but uh, that's a difference, it's hardly tolerance Uh, tolerance is when you actually are in fundamental disagreement I don't think you should go to war in Iraq, I am going to war in Iraq tolerance is when you accept the other person as still a worthy person, as still a citizen whom you're going to treat fairly and kindly and justly, whose opinions you're going to listen to, not only on that issue but on other issues. That's got to do with tolerance, it's putting up with people that you're opposed to. And out of this tolerance comes freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of religion, all of which are terrifically valuable things that we have in this society because it's only as people tolerate those they disagree with and therefore give those that they disagree with the right to speak that we can know what it is we know and what it is we don't know. If the other person is never allowed to say anything critical of your opinion you don't know what could possibly be wrong with your opinion. You don't know the errors, the weaknesses, the frailties nor do you know the strengths and the power it's the freedom for anybody to attack Christianity that gives me such confidence in Christianity. Because I've read the attacks ever since I've been a Christian, since the late 1950s, I've read them consistently. And if that's the best that people can say about Christianity, Christianity is a pretty powerful argument. Because the attacks have been refuted one after another after another and they've been fairly puerile and pathetic anyway. Uh, They keep coming up in the newspaper, you'll keep hearing about latest inventions, latest discoveries, have shown that Christianity is wrong, but when you check them out, you'll find it doesn't do anything of the kind. But I'm really glad that people are free to say it, because it's only the freedom they have to say it that enables me to know what I know. It's only their freedom to be able to say it gives me a possibility of testing what I've been taught if you live in a society where you're never allowed to speak against your views no one else is allowed to speak against your views if everything is censored then how do you know that your views are right see tolerance is a wonderful thing very powerful, gives us freedoms freedoms that give us as much as we can our intellectual certainties even though You can get fairly irritated by the things that people say and it's really annoying at the stupidities that some people go and that the newspapers so gladly pick up with yet I would never argue for censorship of them. Let them say their worst. That's an important principle and they have a right to speak and you never know, they might be right and I might be wrong. I've got to tolerate. So, What's this business about the intolerant God? Well, the intolerant God really is the God of tolerance. The God of tolerance, it plays on words, but stick with me. The God of tolerance is where we value tolerance as a virtue. Not only as a virtue, but as the highest virtue, as God itself. It's the one taboo that you're never allowed to violate. And so it's reflected in our society in calls for unity, for social harmony and social cohesion. When people talk about things as being un-Australian and it attacks all divisive, narrow-minded, bigoted people, calling them with pejorative terms like fundamentalist or terrorist or redneck or uh, anti-social fascist or whatever it might be. Those terms of abuse which will name and label people, shove them on the margins and reject them Why? Not because of the content of what they say, but because they hold their views with a vigour and a firmness. And especially they hold the view that they're right and you're wrong. See, tolerance, strangely, leads to tyranny when tolerance becomes God. For it leads to condemning people condemning people simply because they say something is wrong. So the first step of how tolerance becomes a God is when tolerance as God means that all other absolutes are rejected. For when all absolutes are rejected except for tolerance, then relativism is what tolerance has become. Instead of disagreeing and enduring patiently, Instead of begging to differ with someone, you start saying all opinions are equally valid. Now, there is a world of difference, you see, by saying, you are wrong, but thank you for telling me, and I'm glad you're a citizen and a fellow human being, and saying, well, I agree with you, we're just saying the same thing in a different way. I'm not tolerating that person. It's the word has shifted. And it's even that shift is reflected marginally in the Macquarie Dictionary when it's use of the word to, to, to endure people with whom you differ. It's not just difference that tolerance is about. Tolerance is about saying, I disagree with that person but I'll fight for his right to say it. Tolerance involves disagreement, but tolerance, when it becomes the absolute virtue, slips and slides into this relativism, where all opinions are valid, and where you have the silly people saying things like, Well, I have my truth and you have your truth, and we've all got our own truth. I'm still waiting for someone to say, I've got my falsehood and you've got your falsehood, and we're all. For logically, it's the same thing, but nobody will ever acknowledge that they've got a falsehood. There's no falsehood in relativistic tolerance. Everybody's opinion is equally valid, for we never can say anything or anybody is wrong. And so when nobody is wrong, then we've shifted the ground. When the ultimate most important thing is that we all get along together, then truth and justice and right get put on the back burner. It's not just put on the back burner, they get shoved off the stove altogether. Because anybody who starts talking about truth and justice and right will create disharmony and division and unhappiness and so we'll break down the tolerant society. And then, persecution of those people is what happens. It's a strange thing. Would you want to say that your father was a terrorist? That's not the kind of thing you really want to say, is it? No one wants to be a terrorist, do they? No one would want their father to be a terrorist. Because one man's terrorist is only another man's freedom fighter. My father fought in the French resistance, I'd be proud of him. Wouldn't you? And yet, of course, the, the freedom fighters, the French resistance, were terrorists. That's all they were. When you've got a blanket attack from all world governments against terrorists, you're denying the justice of any of their causes. You say, let's ignore whether they're right or wrong. Let's just stop them because they're not us. Let's just stop them because they're not in control. Let's not even listen to what their complaints are, let's just lock them up because they're not part of the club. They don't belong to the government. They're trying to bring the government down. Is it ever right to bring a government down? Can it ever be right? Is the government always right? Must the government always be supported and the opponents of the government always be oppressed in every government all down history all around the world? The second step of tyranny is that tolerance, it's not so much as permits tyranny, it requires it. For it will persecute all absolutists. Whoever it is that wants to say right is right and wrong is wrong, whoever talks of virtues and vices instead of talking of values will break the cardinal rule of social cohesion and must be stopped, must be ridiculed and scorned and misrepresented and in other societies imprisoned and executed. Because holding society together has become a much more important task of government than pursuing truth or morality or it it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum on, from fascism to communism the response is exactly the same the communists talk about anti-Soviet thoughts that led people to put them into the Gulag Archipelago put them into the Siberian salt mines, tortured them because they had anti-socialist thought, anti-Soviet thought they were but when you track down the history of the Soviet Socialist thought, it kept changing all the time. It wasn't as if there was a consistent that ran in it, other than they against God. There was no real consistency because you don't need a consistency when you're a relativist. Consistency is the bugbear of small minds. If every opinion's right, then you can change your opinion with your underwear. In some countries, not all that often. But you can change it whenever you like. The only person that you can't put up is is someone who is stuck in the mud to say, no, no, this was wrong, is wrong, and always will be wrong. That person doesn't change, doesn't go with the flow, disrupts the harmony of the community. And so, in order to maintain the open, free, tolerant society where everybody gets on together, we exclude the awkward, difficult, angular, unpopular person. And no one does it better than the liberal-minded person. Professor Isink was a, was a psychologist. I don't know if you even see him in the footnotes these days. He used to do IQ tests. He was a professor at the uh, University of London, if I remember correctly. He, he held some strange, unorthodox views. He actually thought that there was some indication of uh, racial differences in intelligence. At least he thought that was certainly worth exploring. Uh, He was one of the great testers of IQ in the 1960s and 70s. IQ testing was all the rage, he was at the forefront of it, but he thought there were differences. He also noticed that the more clear the evidence that uh, you have on any issue, Uh, the more people would accept what you're saying without much controversy. But the more vague was the evidence, the more fanatically people held their opinions. He came to the University of Sydney to give some lectures. He didn't succeed, because in the wave of anti-racism of the later part of the 20th century, The Liberal University of Sydney could not control the mob that protested outside the Great Hall for letting him have his lecture. There is liberalism, there is tolerance. I don't for a minute agree with Professor Isink, I don't disagree with him, I've never looked at the evidence. I really have never been that interested in IQ testing or in racial differences in IQs and all the rest. It's just not my field, not my particular interest. I don't give a fig one way or another, but his right to speak, you would have thought would be preserved on a university by sitting university, wouldn't it This would be the place. Oniswa Anishwa is a great establishment. I had not read it for many years. It's a sign of my maturity. And Anishwa, together with Taranka and over at New South Wales University, led the, led the breaking of censorship laws all across the world. Very forefront of it was some time ago and on his fire here, he it actually was suggesting that the University Council should not allow people like me to speak at the University, the Sydney University EU. We really had to question the authenticity of having groups like this on the campus. The people who were in the vanguard of letting everybody say whatever they wanted to say when they got in power. Wanted to say that those people aren't allowed to talk like that because they're not like us. They actually believe something. They say things are right and wrong. You're not allowed to say that kind of thing. It always runs this way, friends. Tolerance slides into relativism, and relativism and tolerance always slide into tyranny. It always moves that way. Around the world it moves that way. Because it's got no base to it. It's fundamentally stupid. For when tolerance becomes the God and therefore relativism then you tolerate everybody but the intolerant which makes you self-contradictory, doesn't it? If every viewpoint is right except for the viewpoint that says something is wrong then every viewpoint isn't right, is it? Because that one's wrong. So it's self-defeating. It's a stupidity. Tolerance, practice in Tolerance failed in practice. I was chatting to a social worker. Excuse me, Usually my jokes about engineers, but social workers today, I'll tread very carefully. I know that you're feeling people. Engineers, do, You just crack a joke. Social workers come to me later and say to engineers have got feelings to you. <laughs> they generally like it when I tell them that, the engineers. They scream with laughter because... That's what social workers know. <laughs> now, anyway, getting to this social worker in a period of time, I think it was the 70s, could have been in the 80s, when the rage in social work was that they were social change agents. Social workers are always navel-gazing to find out what they are, and they keep moving the gold posters to discover what they are, because they don't want to be what they are, they're only arminous. So they were social change agents, that's what they were in those days. And this uh, person was working for an indigenous uh, people's organisation, helping them advance the cause of indigenous peoples. Uh, I, I had no problem with that, and I was glad they were doing it. I'm glad my tax money went to such good purposes. However, when I challenged with them, I said, "Are you actually trying to help them advance their cause on their understanding of their cause? What is actually best for them, or?" Are you actually helping them understand what is best for them and really, uh, in a sense, so I've got how I used the word, because I wouldn't have used the word impose, but imposing your value system on them. I mean, what are you changing them from to? And who determines what it is you're going to be changed to? Well, of course, this is all the height of social work's non-judgmental self-determination. So... The social worker was very clear to point out that the social worker never imposed their values. Their values are of no significance. The only reason they study their own values is to make sure they didn't bring their values into what they were doing. No, they were taking the indigenous people's values and helping them through work through their values to do what they want to do. Totally non-judgmental. That's wonderful. If, if the money rolls up there and you need another job, would, would you, could you just do that for any organisation? I mean, is, is that professional work? That you are detached from any value system and therefore could just help whatever organisation wants to advance its value? Yes, that's what it's about. So I said, would you work for the Nazis? No. No way i would work for the Nazis. No, 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 it wouldn't happen. Couldn't do it. The Nazis were never. But I said, what if the Nazis wanted to have someone help them to be able to advance their cause? You're a professional social change agent without values, without judgments, without any self determination. Surely you could use your skills to do whatever you like. We moved on. <laughs> See, are we going to tolerate rapists? Are we going to tolerate pedophiles? How are we going to tolerate murderers? What does it mean to tolerate them? Does it mean to say, oh, that's okay. Your view is as good as any other view. I'm happy for your view to be expressed. I'm happy for you to have the same rights as anybody else. I don't want it. Our society doesn't do that. We lock people up. We put them away behind bars for years and years. Got a letter from a murderer today. He's been in jail since uh, 1988 when he was 15, 14 years old. He was put in jail. He's still there, pleading for help. Pleading he's going to spend the whole of his life in jail because one time he killed somebody in the street. doesn't need to tolerate people. Tolerance is God. Tolerance is relativism. Denies intuitive justice. The justice which says within our heart, that's not fair, that's not right, that should be punished. You can't do that. We've got to stop that. When tolerance is God, you can't say any of those things. When tolerance is God, when relativism reigns, then you say, oh, well, that's what he likes doing, that's what she likes doing, well, that's their business. And If I'm a social worker, I'll go and help them do it, whatever it might be. I'll work for the Penophile Association, advancing the cause of the man-boy-loved Love organization Why not? I'm a professional. Professionals don't bring their values into their work, do they? They keep it separate. It was a stupidity which I hope the social work professionals moved beyond. It also, of course, leads you into just straight out stupidity from the times of Kant on. Because Kant, you remember, divides up things between opinion and fact. It puts basically religion and ethics in opinion. Well, in postmoderns have put everything in opinion now. But it really was a stupid thing. Because religion isn't a matter of opinion, uh, there's clearly fact involved as well. A classic, easy, simple one for you to grasp hold off, if you don't know much about religion is that all religions can't be right because Islam and Christianity are contradictory. And they're contradictory not in theory, not in idea, not in philosophy. They're contradictory over a fact. Islam in the Quran teaches that Jesus did not die. The Bible teaches that Jesus did die and that it's not kind of a marginal, small detail of life like St George Rugby League Club that really doesn't matter, unlike these. It's not one of those things that's insignificant. Whether he died or not is very central to the whole of what Christianity is all about. If Jesus did not die, Christianity is wrong, false, hoax. Now, both Islam and Christianity could be wrong, couldn't they? In the 1950s, the Soviets in the Communist Party taught in all their state school education programs that Jesus never lived. Now, if they were right, both Islam and Christianity would be wrong. Jesus never lived, that's why he didn't die. Because Islam says he did live, born of a virgin, but didn't die. Christianity says he lived, born of a virgin, died and rose again. They can't all be right. They could all be wrong they can't all be right. And so, if all religions can't be right, then those religions which teach all religions are right, they've got to be wrong as well, haven't they? I mean, that immediately tells you you don't have to worry too much about that kind of Eastern mysticism that you get in Baha'i or even in Hinduism, which wants to have all religions teaching the same thing. They've got to be wrong, because here are two religions who teach the exact opposite of each other, and they are two of the major, largest religions of the world. Islam, Christianity... And it's not just teaching about a different philosophy, they're teaching about whether Jesus did or didn't die. A fact. That's what it is. Either the man did or he didn't. It's one way or the other. It can't be both ways. But of course, relativism and tolerance doesn't understand properly. Once you make tolerance to God, you won't get it right. If you make God God, then you can learn how to be tolerant. Because you can say that is wrong but I still love you. I still care for you. That is wrong what you are doing and you are in opposition, but let's talk about it further. Let's look for the reasons why I'm wrong or you're wrong. Let's discuss the issue. But we don't sweep the difference under the carpet and "Well, so there's no difference at all. We actually explore the difference. We may never come to an agreement but we treat each other as humans. That's because tolerance is not the ultimate goal of our exercise we're much more concerned about other things like truth like righteousness, like justice like morality things that flow from God for at one level God is intolerant that is God is going, says the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will die he says the wages of sin is death that God is too holy to look upon sin, we're told in the Bible. God has an intolerance towards evil. Uh, my fingernails don't have much intolerance about dirt. They can collect an enormous amount of dirt. But my eye has an enormous intolerance for dirt. The smallest little speck of dirt, and I can't tolerate it. I have to expunge it, I have to get rid of it. God cannot deal with evil. <coughs> like dirt in your eye it is totally unacceptable for Him and those who rebel against God will be killed by Him He is intolerant and yet He is patient in His anger and in His patience He who cannot stand our evil endures patiently us see how long will you leave the piece of dirt in your eye with me it's not long at all I'm pulling away but you can leave it there you can choose to just close your eye and tolerate it for a while put up with it it's unpleasant it's painful you'd have to have pretty good reason to do it wouldn't you but you can do it it might cause you damage to do it, it might damage your eye to do it, but you can do it. God has done it for centuries. For instead of giving us the punishment we deserve immediately, he has patiently endured. Let me read to you part of the Bible. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, if you have your Bible there. In Romans chapter 3 we read this now the righteousness of God I'm reading from verse 21 now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets call testimony to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there's no distinction all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God the Bible's always very clear about that everybody in this world is caught up in sin we all have sinned, each one of us. Therefore, we are intolerable to God, the lot of us. He doesn't want... We, we have a speck in his eye for every one of us and all of us together. But now are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith well big words, complex sentence very important words, he's actually saying that what God has done is solved the fact that our behaviour is intolerable he's solved it by paying the price himself taking it upon himself putting forward his own son that in Jesus the payment will be paid for our failures, for our enmity. Why does God do this? This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It is to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just as a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, the trouble with slow justice is that it looks like no justice. If you commit a crime and You're never punished for it. And it just goes on and on. You know, I can do that. It doesn't matter. I haven't been caught. I haven't paid for it. No one may say it's wrong, but there's no indication it's wrong. All of humanity rebelled against God. All of us have sinned. All of us have rejected God. And God could rightly and justly destroy us immediately. But he hasn't. He patiently has endured humanity's willful rejection of him. Not just for a day, not just for a year, but ever since we were humans. Ever since we've been here, he's been patiently enduring. (coughs) Waiting for the day when he would send his son to even pay the penalty for us. That is, he doesn't deal with our enmity and hostility and our behaviour by winking the eye he doesn't well doesn't really matter you know and boys will be boys it's just one of those naughty little things It's that. no no he says what you have done is repulsive and objectionable and intolerable but I will take it upon myself to pay the penalty for you But well, that was two thousand years ago what's since then? welcome to another part of the New Testament over to 1 Peter chapter 2 Peter chapter 3 2 Peter chapter 3, here the Apostle Peter is writing and you see the patience of God, the endurance of God is still part of his ongoing tolerance his acceptance of people who are opposed to him which is extraordinary. 2 Peter chapter 3 I'm reading from now do not, uh, verse 8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief when the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of judgment is coming. The fact that it hasn't come yet doesn't mean it's not coming. The day when God actually puts everything right is coming. The day when all wrongdoing will be destroyed is coming. It will happen. This all that hasn't happened in my lifetime. So it didn't happen in my father's lifetime. So no, it's only going to happen once. You so, uh, say, well, it was promised a couple of thousand years ago, and ever since then people have been saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It's like the Waiting for Godot play, you know, Beckett. You know is, is it ever going to come? Oh, God promises and God fulfills his promises. See, 2,000 years before Jesus, Abraham was promised Jesus, and he came. More than 1,000 years before Jesus, Moses was promised Jesus. And he came. God's pretty good at fulfilling promises over the long term. Why does he take so long? Why does he fix it up now? Why doesn't why God fix the mess the world's in right away? Well, God can. God may. It's a nice do. But let me ask you, which bit do you want him to fix? Iraq? Yes, yes. The Sudan, where millions are dying through. Yes, yes, that'd be good to fix the Sudan. Rwanda hasn't been fixed up. Is yes, that'd be good to fix up Rwanda. Yeah, that's Afghanistan, yeah, no one else has been able to fix Afghanistan. That'd be good to fix up uh, Afghanistan. So we can work around the world. What, what about Sydney? What about Sydney University? What about you? you ready to meet God? Do you want him to come and fix you up as well? Because you see, when you ask God to come and fix up the mess the world's in, you're actually asking him to come and fix you. Me. That's what I'm asking Because he's not just going to fix up some of it, he's not like a teenager who cleans up those bits of the bedroom that the mother can see. When he comes, he's going to do the job properly, thoroughly, completely, with you. Now do you want him to come fix the world up? That point I want to say, well, yes, but tomorrow or the day after or, or or God is not slow about keeping his promises, he is patient. God is wanting all people to come to a knowledge of him. He doesn't desire the death of any sinner. And so he is patiently enduring us in all our willfulness and rebellion, waiting the time. He has paid the penalty for us and still we do not ask for forgiveness. Still we go on living in rebellion, rejecting him and turning our back on him and on his son. And he still is patient, still waiting, waiting, and waiting to give us every possible opportunity that we may turn back to him and find life. But what do we do with that? Well, come back to Romans. For there it also talks, in Romans 2, of this judgment that's coming. In Romans 2, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, that because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God is being slow about his justice to give us a chance of mercy. And what do we do? We say, oh, he's never going to turn up. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, Is he going to come? I mean, The promise is 2,000 years old. I can't believe that. And so rather than using up the time wisely, we abuse him because he is tolerant. See there is a real tolerance of God. It's not an absolute tolerance because in the end he truly is intolerant of sin. It's not an absolute tolerance. That Tolerance is not the absolute virtue of God or the absolute value of God. But it is part of God that he gives people every opportunity patiently enduring even with his enemies who are offensive and abominable to him, he puts up with us, he doesn't give us what we deserve and provides for us a complete alternative so that we can find complete forgiveness for everything we've done and he provides it at his own cost and still we go on living for ourselves. Still we go on rejecting him and rebelling against him and making fun of him and scorning him. Our engineering society is running a uh, review soon. Making fun of the passion. That's alright, we live in a free society. We Christians are used to tolerating that. They wouldn't do the same thing for Muslims, would they? That would not be appreciated, would it? So there is a value of tolerance that comes out of the Christian gospel of forgiveness that is very important to understand. But not to take it as the ultimate virtue and value and turn tolerance into God. For when you do that, you'll lose tolerance as well as God. You'll gain relativism and instead of finding tolerance, you get tyranny. That's how it happens. There was no right and wrong in Adolf Hitler's world because there was no God in Hitler's world. There was no right and wrong in Joe Stalin's world because there was no God in Stalin's world. There was no right and wrong in, in Pol Pot's world because there was no God in Pol Pot's world. There was no right and wrong in Mao Tung's world because there was no God in Mao Zedong's world. When people say religion is the cause of wars, You've got to take onto account that the 20th century was the bloodiest century of all human history and the main people who were involved and responsible for it were atheists who having dispensed with God, taught tolerance and relativism and then tyrannically destroyed the humanity that they were supposed to be responsible for. They were all tolerant governments ideologically. They were all tyrannical governments effectively. Because the one thing they couldn't stand is anybody who would stand up and say that is wrong. And do you think democracy is going to be different? Look what is done to people who want to stand up for right and wrong in our public media. Notice how they are pilloried. Notice how they are uh, 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 censored. Notice how they are made fun of. Beware of terms like fundamentalist and terrorist. Do not label people like that. Ask what does this person believe and then disagree with them but allow them to express what they believe in their terms and give them the due respect that they might be right and are worthy to listen to as you care to share with them. A tolerant society flows from a tolerant God. But the tolerant God is tolerant because he actually is intolerant of sin. He knows there is a right and wrong and teaches us that. It's a very different way of understanding tolerance isn't it? Inside the outline there was a little sheet that did have things written on it. All kinds of things. The Sydney Uni-EU, of which I'm glad and proud to have been a member many years ago, always glad to hear of the people who come along and share with us at these public meetings and get to know people. And if you want to know more about becoming a Christian, if you want to know more about Christianity, this is the group I would commend you to be involved with and to find out about. And there's opportunity there for you. Some of you may have decided to become a Christian today. I haven't told you much about how to do that, have I? So what you need to do is to tick the boxes there and say, yeah, I'd like to find out about Christianity or I'd like to become a Christian. Tick that box. Put your name and address there and as you're handed in on the way out, the EU here will get in contact with you and talk with you privately about it. If you want to find out more about EU, etc., all the information that's there. If you want to make a, question, make a comment or put a question, the EU will pass the comments on to me and I'm always happy to hear from them. Just write it on the back. We'll hear from it in due time et